filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions serving Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They handle employment issues including wrongful termination, wage disputes, discrimination, equal employment opportunity matters, and more. They also handle civil rights litigation, defamation, and general litigation. For a free consultation, visit EhrlichLawOffice.com slash filibuster. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Regulated Podcast. I'm Adam Taylor, joined as always by Ben Bromley and Jason Anderson. We are all from blackandredunited.com. That's where you can find us writing about DC United, Major League Soccer, and the wider world of soccer. And it is a wide world. Um, we're going to bring a little bit of that world into the show tonight because we have Travis Clark from topdrawersoccer.com on to help us with our super preview of the super draft because it's super. Um, we're, we're also going to finish out our Benny Awards and hate on some other MLS teams a little bit. Before we do anything, though, Jason Anderson, what are you drinking? Uh, so about half an hour before we were supposed to go on, I decided to make a uh, hurried run to the, the liquor store to buy some beer because I realized the only thing I had was the beer I had last time. Um, I, I didn't want to be redundant, so... Uh, I went to the liquor store and bought their last six-pack of the Brewer's Art, uh, which is, as people that listen to the show probably have gathered, is from Baltimore because I've had their beer a lot on the show. Um, it's This is a new one, though. This is St. Festivus. Um, it is uh, ale brewed with spices. I think it's, um, looking at the side of the bottle, uh, fresh ginger and orange peel going to the brewing process. Um, it's a, it's good. It's a, it's a good winter beer. Um, it's an 8% uh alcohol beer, so that's always pleasant. Um, it doesn't really, the ginger's not really coming through very much, but I'm still, I'm pretty pretty pleased with it, considering I walked in the store having no concept of what I was going to get. Things turned out pretty well. I, I'm also going with a, a winter beer of sorts. I have Rogue's uh, Shakespeare Oatmeal Stout, which Rogue is always a reliable source of pretty solid good beers, and this one's no exception. It's a nice stout. Ben, what are you drinking tonight? So, this month, my wife and I are doing a Whole30. If you don't know what that is, you can look it up. But that means no alcohol for 30 days. Ben, uh, Ben, Ben. Yeah. You sound really sad right now. Well, you know. You're bumming me out. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm defaulting back to my separate, second favorite kind of drinks after alcoholic, which is tea drinks. And so, I am drinking a uh, South African tea. It's called Roybus. Uh, it's non-caffeinated because it's kind of light at night, and I put coconut milk in it and cinnamon. That's pretty good. I have no follow-up questions. <laughs> Travis, what are you drinking? Well, I was going to lie and say that I was drinking, but I'm actually not. But if I were drinking, well, we have some Dogfish Head 61 that's in the beer, in the beer, in the fridge. And I don't know if you guys have had that before, but it's quite delicious. That's a good is. one. Yeah, that, that's a good one. Let's jump into the soccer. DC United will pick number 13 in... Lucky 13. Lucky number 13, just like the number of trophies we have. In the Super Draft next week, the draft class is still kind of filling out. The The combine rosters were announced this week, at least the initial rosters were, were announced. Uh, the Generation Adidas class, which is the underclassmen who the league has pried out early, should be coming out soon. Um 
but it hasn't been finalized. At least it hasn't been announced yet. Um, Travis, looking at the top of this year's draft class before we get into DC United's specific position in the draft, uh, how does it compare with recent years? Well, it's interesting. I mean, it's always hard to compare year to year because these players, you look at them at, at, at different points in their career and you're looking at guys who are in college uh, and, you know, before draft, you don't know how they'll turn out to be pros. And, you know, af- after a year, you have some kind of an idea, but you still don't know. But, um, you know, the, if the generation of this class comes off as it's kind of projected right now, um, I'd say it's somewhere in the middle of the road. I, I really like the, the, the English kid from Wake Forest, Jack Harrison. Um, a really electric, dynamic player, like a player that I would want to watch. And you don't necessarily come across a lot of those type of players in college soccer very often, uh, and to some degree MLS. But um, he's someone who should be gone, you have to say, in the top three picks. You know, there's another case you could make. I don't really know what fire need. You could make a case from going number one overall. Uh, you know, being that this is a DC-based podcast, a DC-area-based podcast, um, Josh Yar is a guy that people are mm-hmm. probably familiar with. Um, you know, he's a, one of the college, one of the college soccer's best players of the past few years. Um, probably you'd have to think that he'd be the number one pick if, if I go that route. Um, a really, really, really fast, but a pretty solid soccer player. I mean, the player is a central defender, but potentially maybe a central midfield. Um, Possibly a right back. He's the one thing you got to you look at him. You're thinking, well, where exactly do you play? Do you go with the center back role? Um, Omar Holness, another projected GA guy. You know, he's someone that I feel pretty mad about. You know, he's not. You know, he's another like pretty athletic, dynamic player, but pretty inconsistent for North Carolina. Although he does have a few taps to the Jamaican national team. I do believe um, Andrew Torrell, the goalkeeper from Clemson, uh, you know, another one where you're just kind of like you're not really blown away. You know, I, I rated Alex Bono a lot higher, but um, you see, you saw how well that went last year. He hasn't really seen the field much, so uh, you know, I also heard he accepted a pretty low deal. So he looks like he looks like a guy that he's not really as a high end talent kind of person, but you know, he has to sign a GA deal because he has a year of eligibility left. So. Um, I think those are like the five or six names bouncing around. Uh, Fabian Herbert is the, the Creighton Ford, supposedly not signing a DA deal. And then, uh, you know, the other names kind of escape me, but, you know, somewhere in the middle of the road, you know, there's no one like Darlington Nagby, Terry Kitchen, um, which I believe came out the same year, or, you know, not, even someone. Neither of whom um, went number one that year either. Right. Omar Salgado. Omar Salgado. Forever. Forever be grateful to the White Caps, these <laughs> United fans. Um, although I guess that's you know, now sad because Perry Kitchen's gone. But um, you know, even you know Kyle Laren is probably better. Um, Richard Larea is a a name that's been thrown in there. He's an acting kid from the same club uh, in the Ontario, Toronto area. Um, Sigma FC. He's another kid who is. Uh, expected to be in this class, uh, really good, really dynamic uh, talent as well. But uh, like Yar, he's like, well, what's his true position going to be? Although he's talented, he'll figure it out. Um, but he, he's got to have the right, right spot to go to, right, 
environment. Um, the Syracuse kid, the, the, the German kid, Julian Boucher, uh, another name that's been uh, thrown out there. Um, again, not really like, doesn't kind of wow you or dazzle you, but he could be a pretty solid player. And you know, he's a little, a little on the older side at 22, but he's someone that could probably, you know, maybe play a thousand minutes at least this season. So, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of meh, really. Okay. Like the whole draft overall. Even every year, you, every year I kind of say, well, we'll find some players that'll help you. And it's kind of the same, but th- this year I feel I'm pretty down on it. I'm also pretty tired, so excuse my left, 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 left. <laughs> Uh, so DC United under Olsen and Casper have almost always avoided drafting for need and instead just taken the best player available. I know you guys at Top Girl Soccer have been doing mock drafts. Obviously, there are other ones around the web. Who are some of the names, I guess, a little bit further down out of that top five or six guys that you were talking about that that could be available at number 13 that that maybe DC United fans could keep an eye on in the, the scouting combine that's coming up later this week? Yeah, you know, that's a good question. It's, it's pretty hard to know because you think that DC is going to go one way, but they always, they always kind of throw you for a loop. But um, there's, there's going to be a decent, I, you know, a decent player that they could take a flyer on who, you know, could end up being a surprise contributor this season. Um, you know, some of these outside backs, um, maybe a, a Keegan Rosenberry from Georgetown, he's, he's likely to go the top 10, but there's always a chance. Uh, I, I did the, the mock draft we did. I had Jordan McCrary, um from North Carolina. He can play either side. Pretty good two-footed athletic defender. Um, he's somebody who could probably do a job. You know, you, you're looking at – if you're looking at from a new perspective, this is kind of cheap. You think central midfield. You know, maybe Omar Holness is still there. Maybe the uh, Julian Boucher is still there. Maybe Richard Lorray. I feel like there's always one or two generation of U.S. kids that end up um, slipping for for whatever reason. And you know, so maybe DC pounces at uh, 13 if one of those two players are uh, available. So you know, someone like that maybe. Um, you know, if they're looking at from a best player perspective. Uh, you know, center back like Zach Carroll, John Campbell, or Kyle Fisher. Um, I know that, that that's not a glaring hole, but you know, Bobby Boswell's getting up there. Steve Vermont's coming off a, a, a sketchy year. You know, if he's still alive after what he did, Drogba did to him. Um, <laughs> you know, there's going to be some. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, someone like that kind of makes sense. Like, I feel like they're not going to go for someone in an out-and-out attacking role because there's not a lot of good players, honestly. There's not a lot of, uh, outside of those few GA guys who've already gone over, you know, there's not a lot of really exciting and frawling uh, forwards. Um, so you probably look in the midfield, look in defense, and you know, I don't think they would pick a goalkeeper. That would be, uh, again, that would be pretty shocking. But, you know, someone like those... The names I just mentioned, those kind of parts of the, the, the field, you probably think he's, he's going to look at. Jason? Um, just to add on, there's one, uh, I think there was some news breaking today that, um, Abu Dhanladi is one of the attackers who won't be out there, um, most likely due to not getting a generation Adidas deal. Uh, that's the, the rumor from earlier anyway. Um, so that just kind of adds to Travis's point that, the attacking talent isn't going to be around at 13 and DC hasn't traded up too much unless Philadelphia shows up waving a bunch of money and screaming. 
Um, at which point you take their money and laugh at them as they stumble into a mistake. But that's neither here nor there. Um, my first question is actually not really a DC question. It's more about the local college scene and the fact that the New York Red Bulls sign pretty much every single college soccer player within 300 miles of DC, uh, to a homegrown deal. They signed, uh, Brandon Allen and Alex Moyle from Georgetown. They signed Neil Corbos from Maryland and Derek Etienne from University of Virginia. Um, where would those four guys have gone in this draft class if they had just been regular players that were out there to be drafted? Obviously, at the end, being a, a freshman, uh, so he would have been a GA player this year. Right, right. Um, no less of Chris Thorpe or uh, oh, I forgot. It's so many. It's so many. I forgot to write them down. Um, <laughs> yeah, Thompson's another Virginia player. Yeah, Thorpe doesn't. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing his name right, but uh, he is from Bucknell. So technically speaking. There's only five, then. Um, right. Yeah, you know, it's hard to say. I've, I've seen a lot, obviously, because I'm based in the D.C. area. You know, I've seen a t- those players a ton, um, you know, watched them. Like, you know, Brandon, it's, it's making me feel old because Brandon Allen's in final summer club playing with the Red Bulls at U18 was the first uh, development academy event that I covered. So it's it's dating me a little bit to, to see him have played four years of soccer. I feel like Allen would have been someone who, you know, even though I'm really uncertain of what he's going to do at the next level, he's someone who I feel like a team would have picked in the first round, even if maybe he's not quite there. And just that's that, my opinion. Is that in part because of the, the rumor that there were teams trying to dispute his homegrown uh, ties to the Red Bulls? Yeah, I just feel like you know teams when teams who don't really scout that well would have just seen that he scored 50 goals for a program like Georgetown and assume that he's good, right? Right. That so, happens every year. You know, and then you, you, you add in the, that factor too, um, the fact that yeah, other teams were showing with that approach. You add in the fact that other, other teams are trying to, you know, whatever, scupper the homegrown deal and mm-hmm. you assume that some, that, that someone would have taken them in the first round. So, uh, you know, uh, probably the same for Alex Neal. He's a, another Georgetown player. Probably, I would say late, you know, let's go 15 to 20. I'll give him, uh, male Corbeau's maybe early second round. Uh, okay. he could have suffered an inexplicable fall like Dan Metzger, um, just because teams do strange things sometimes and it doesn't make sense to me, but, you know, soccer subjective, two great players in different ways, whatever. And then, um, Etienne, I would go top five. He's a really exciting talent, um, despite the fact that he was, you know, pretty, in terms of statistical output, you know, he didn't do a whole lot, but the part of that's because Virginia plays some of the worst soccer ever. It's like thank you, thank you for that. <laughs> you just made Jason's. That's been. Just that's been. I, I mean, Travis, you're you're fully aware of my thoughts on that, based on their run to the national championship last year, and and then this year it just sort of was the same. I actually went to when Virginia played Maryland in the tournament and. Was tr- there were there were a bunch of high school kids behind me that were there specifically to watch Etienne, and by the end of the game, they were mostly talking about Subasa Endo, and it wasn't really Etienne's fault. It's just there's yeah. there's not really much you can do there if the object is to play for penalties for the entire game. Um, yeah, it's like he, I, he, he, yeah. Oh, go ahead. I can't believe that they won the national title doing that. And the the thing that's sickening me the most is how many really good, young, talented eighteen year old players go there, and they're just Careers will, you know, they'll they'll be lucky to 
It's almost as bad as the Duke men's program. I guess I can assume that not a lot of college soccer fans will be listening to this podcast. <laughs> Fingers crossed. As I rag on programs. But, um, you can blame it on me. Uh, I'll yeah. take the heat. I'll, I'll just say that um, I'm you or you're me or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, I guess Etienne's big um, claim to fame, though, is his play with the Red Bulls USL team, which he played for as an amateur. Um, that's kind of where he uh, made more of a mark, I guess, because there the soccer was, I'm going to go out on a limb and presume, a little more progressive. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he, you know, as a as a you know, a kid before his freshman season was already making an impact at, at the USL level. That kind of says something right there. No, yeah, that's, I mean, certainly a factor. He's a kid who, he's one of the, the few classic American soccer stories where he's too too small, so he doesn't get on the, the, the U.S. youth national teams. And he, he's a he, Haitian-American descent, so he, he's played for Haitian youth teams. And, and I, I feel like, I, I haven't followed him much before last year, but, you know, I feel like he, he um, Developed a lot more, grew basically. He grew, grew bigger, and he could do stuff like that in the USL. You know, if you, you, you hit Google, um, the listeners can hit Google and, and search for a couple of his goals, with both in Virginia and uh, a couple with the Red Bull uh, too. And uh, you know, he there's, he brings something a little bit different, um, exciting, fun to watch. Things you don't say when you're talking about um, college soccer a lot of the time. So. Uh, hopefully he'll get some minutes with the Rebels. I know we're not supposed to say good things about the Rebels on this podcast, but um, I have to come across as a neutral. <laughs> that's, that's fair. I'm you so have funny to reflect your own reality. Exactly. <laughs> to go back to um, Josh Yar for a second, there were, I guess over the last couple months, there were some rumors that he was dropping at least at some team size, so Obviously, it's kind of a limited pool of people whose opinions count um, when it comes to Josh Yar. The Chicago defenders are back; they're picking first, so um, you have to. I don't even want to say assume because they've been so dumb over the past few years, but I would say maybe hope for the good of the league that they just um, take a good center back. But why do you think there these rumors were they cropping in the? Uh, the undisputed number one for so long that people eventually had a backlash, or was it founded on anything in particular? You know, I'm not really sure what it's founded upon. Uh, obviously, when you watch him play, if you're sizing him up to be in MLS, you, you'd want someone, um, you know, just a few inches taller because it's it's the nature of the game, it's the nature of the league a little bit. I think that he could adapt fine. Um, I'm just hoping he doesn't turn out to be another Marvel win who is sadly still in MLS. I mean, good for him, whatever. But, um, yeah, I, I, if Chicago passes, though, here's the bad The thing that would irk me is, you know, would the Rapids take him? I guess he's probably not tall enough for them, but... Um, he is know, a center back, though, so they're going to be tempted because they would just want to have, like, nine or ten at I any think, given time. I think if you, if you look at... Um, if you look at it from a pure soccer perspective, you could raise doubts and questions about, you know, that status of, I have to figure out where this kid plays. You know, then maybe I don't take him then. You know, they have that new coach who can see his name. I can't pronounce Pernovich, the former union player. 
um, who did a great job with Serbia. You, know, you never know what he's going to be thinking. He's a little bit of an outsider, although I did see him at the Wake Forest-Stanford game. Maybe they go totally off the map and pick, like, you know, Brandon Vincent's probably the best senior far and away, the Stanford captain. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a left back. I don't know who their left backs are. Probably not no one very good. So they do have Jovan Jones, but okay. they've also used him okay. in midfield a lot last year. So, you know, maybe they have a second plan where there where they say, let's take Vincent and then push Jones up because he's, you know, extraordinarily fast. So he's going to get something done anyway. Right. And, you know, wherever I they put him. I think Steve Goff reported that Yara will sign the highest GA deal in the class, and maybe teams will get scared off thinking about him coming off the GA books. Right. And, uh, you know, then we've got to hit the salary. But you know, look, look, I think you look at a player like Josh Yarrow, and not only is he a great player, but everything I hear about him is he's like a phenomenal person, um, you know, really bright kid. He's from the Right to Dream program that uh, it's like an academy in Ghana. Which connected him to a boarding school out in Santa Barbara, which then, um, you know, he made his way across back across the country to Georgetown. So I watched him play for three years. I think that you take someone like that, he'll be a good teammate. He'll be able to give you something in 2016. Uh, and, and you know, whether that's as a right back, whether that's center back, you know, he's not, he's certainly doesn't strike me somewhat as a bust because, you know, MLS is a league where, like it or not, you know, if you're fast, you'll you'll stick around for a little bit, you know. Right. And he'll be able to figure something out. And he's a good. He's got enough good enough soccer. You know, he's definitely can look at more times like athlete than soccer player. But I would contend that there's enough soccer there that um, he would be of immense value to someone, and it would be rather foolish to pass on him. Yeah, and and that's kind of goes back to the way Georgetown plays. They don't they don't really go there for college for. For college program, they're not and trying really hard. Um, there's there's an attempt to put the ball on the ground and and pass or pass it sometimes. Yeah, um, I would they're, they're pretty good to watch. They are more fun to watch. No disrespect intended, but it is going to be disrespectful. They are more fun to watch than DC United at times. Well, I mean, at, le- at least from a especially because aesthetic. Right, and and having been to a few games to watch them, I mean, they tried against UVA in. Like, what was it last year during the tournament? It was like 35 and windy and rainy. Um, yeah. And the field had, it had been raining for days, uh, before, for like a day and a half before that. And they still tried to put the ball on the ground and play a little bit, um, in conditions that were just clearly screaming, don't try to play soccer today. Um, yeah. so, you know, for, for Yarrow being at the, as a center back in that formation, he's got to be able to play a little bit. You can't just be, um, a guy who's good at jumping and running and it, it fits. So that would work in some other programs, but not, I, I don't think for the Hoyas that would fit very well. Um, I guess my final, my final question is, um, uh, just with other, um, local college prospects, uh, is there anyone that, that people should look out for from any of the local schools that, um, that might go in the, I guess in the first two rounds, really? Cause after that, you get into the like, now that MLS has expanded so much, you're getting into the third round is what used to be like the last round of the final supplemental draft. Um, so, you know, top 40, basically. Uh, anyone local that you think is going to get get hit? You know, I'm, I'm curious to see what happens. Uh, you know, Joshua Centerback Park, Cole Seiler, I've, I've watched him for four seasons. He, he seems like a pretty um, a solid and steady player, but you know, the, the past three seasons, my judgment's a little bit clouded because he's had this, like, incredibly dynamic, athletic, 
center back next to him. So, you know, I look at him and he's someone who's like, all right, well, are you going to make it? I feel like he's someone that could end up in your, your third, third or fourth round, um, possibly. Um, I'm not sure if he'll stick around long enough, but, you know, he's somebody that will probably get a long look. Todd Warren, uh, central midfielder of Virginia. Uh, simply because there's not a lot of central midfield options, I think uh, he's someone who could possibly see his name picked um, if we're considering Virginia a local school, of course. Uh, Donna Richmond is an interesting guy. Um, shout out to Ben, who I believe lives there. <laughs> yes. Uh, Dennis Castillo, he's a, oh, yeah. you know, he's, he's a sort of an under-the-radar program where you know, pretty good coaching staff. Uh, Dave Gifford, who worked with Caleb Porter at Akron, um, yeah, he's someone that values a player's development and they sent a couple players here and there. Um, you know, Jason Johnson didn't, you know, exactly set MLS on fire, but there's, there was something there. Dennis Castillo is a center back. He's a little bit in the yard mode in terms of having that question over his head. You know, can you play as a center back in MLS or are you going to be right back and are you going to be good enough to play there? Um, I'm pretty curious to see about the, uh, Maryland. Maryland players, and Jason, you can add anything you want. You know, Subasa Endo is really, uh, you know, obviously he's a Japanese player, uh, much different than uh, what MLS teams, most MLS teams are looking for. Are they going to spend, you know, an international spot on a draft pick? You know, I think someone will take a look at him and bring him to camp. And then um, the center back, Ivan Gallus, who I didn't even know was going to be in the draft pool, but apparently he is because he only had a year of eligibility. Um, he never did anything to wow or dazzle me, but I, he might be a left-footed center back, and that can simply count for something. So those are some of the, the, the names to look out for. Georgetown has another kid, Josh Turnley. Uh, again, left-sided defender. He's a left-back. Simply the fact that he's a left-back, you know, Definitely someone to keep an eye on. He could end up getting picked as well. And then I think I already men- mentioned that uh, Ke- Keegan Rosenberry is a player I really like. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I heard conflicting things because one report said he wanted to be a Philadelphia Union homegrown. Another said, um, you know, I talked to a few people that said, well, he was out training with clubs last summer and wanted to shed his homegrown tag. So uh, I think he's someone that's that's a top 10 player for me. Whether or not he goes there, we'll see. One last question before we let you go, and that is a little closer to home outside of the Super Draft, and that's DC United uh, Academy players and alums. Three of them in particular just got called into the USA U-20 camp. Uh, Jonathan Bell, uh, a defender, and Lucas Mendez, a midfielder, were, are both still on DC United's U-18 side. An Academy alum, Eric Williamson, is a forward for Maryland who, who had some really... Uh, first-class goals for the Terps this year and, and had a very good freshman year uh, up in College Park. What can you tell us about those three, and are they potential homegrown signings in the next year or two, or uh, are they a little further out than that, and are there any other prospects uh, we should be on the, the lookout for? And this is a, a big multi-part question, so just take it wherever you want. Take it wherever I want. Well, it's hard to know. Um you hear a lot of things about the United Academy and whether or not players are willing to sign, um, want to sign. Um, I think Charlie Blum's reported a little bit on that. Um, mm-hmm. Academy players, you know, because you look at, you know, you'll, you, if you're a savvy soccer player, you're going to look at Colin Martin and Jalen Robinson and 
see, well, okay, is it my best interest to sign with this team? Am I going to get minutes? Is that going to help me develop? Um, um, but, you know, that, like, taking that sort of factor totally out of the picture, um, the three kids in the U-20s, the defender, I don't really, I'm not really familiar with him. He's not on my radar. Uh, Lucas Mendez is going to play at Jason's favorite college. And, uh, I believe he's in the class of 2016. That's Virginia for, for those. <laughs> not catching the sarcasm. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I've seen him, I think I've seen him play. I can't remember. He's a pretty solid, uh, kind of connect the dots, um, central midfielder, maybe, a little bit more creative could end up being an interesting player, but I don't see how he would fit in a DC United type system, at least the way they play right now. Um, you know, when you ship out Luis Silva, you know, he's a little more like Luis Silva than, uh, in terms of that creativity, uh, not as, not as physically imposing. So you wonder if he, he'd ever be able to cut it in the league if he'd get a chance to. And, and you know, Williamson, as you kind of mentioned, it took a really long time to come along uh, at a Maryland team that, uh, tried it out four or five freshmen a game, uh, but you know you could see he's out. He, he's got he's got the ability to be a homegrown signing, and I'd expect it uh, after next college season. That probably makes the most sense for him, especially as DC United continues to get a little bit you know older, older, a lot of core players are in their thirties now. Um, yeah, another Maryland freshman, uh, Jorge Calix, is interesting to me. I think he's I've uh, seen him in, in person a few times, and you know he. Had his fits and starts, didn't have, you know, as much, didn't see a lot of time on the field for the Terps this past fall. And Jason can add anything to it if he recalls a name or remembers seeing him play. Um, but he's another attack minded player where you're like, okay, you've got something going on. And if you develop and, um, you know, it's probably better for him, honestly, to be developing at Maryland than at DC United as distressing as that is in some capacity, but, you know, it's the best place for him right now, probably, in terms of um, making the adjustments and learning to adapt to physicality and um, kind of the elements of MLS that, while also getting minutes in the field. And then, uh, you know, going off of that, uh, Maryland's goalkeeper, Dakota Niedemeyer, um, who knows where homegrown rights are these days, but he, he's a, you guys are probably familiar with his, uh, Generation to do this cup heroics where he made like four or five penalty stops or something gets Dynamo, like four and, or five and then did ago. it and then did it again or something similar during the Big Ten tournament this year. Yeah, yeah, and then um, he, did, he did that against Indiana, and he actually yeah. overshadowed. He, I think he made a couple of stops also in the PK shootout that they lost to Clemson. But yeah, Maryland's yeah. penalties were just atrocious. They so. were they were horrible. Um, after, and it was what Corbosa's, because Corbosa's automatic, and then yeah. it was bad. But again, it could have been similar. It would be interesting because he 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 battled through injuries. Uh, I you know didn't play when Zach Steffen was there and couldn't stay healthy, but finally managed to stay healthy for the Terps this season and, and held the number one jersey after a couple of um, early chops and changes. And I think he's. You know, I'm not going to say he's going to be Bill Hamid's successor. No one is going to be that if Bill ever leaves. But um, someone to keep an eye on, I guess. Um, then, obviously, again, I don't know where his homegrown rights are. If they want to even sign for DC, but uh, Ian, Ian Hart's had a really good season for Wake Forest. Uh, could help fill that central midfield gap that we talked about earlier in the show. 
you know, he's someone that if, if it were me, I would go out and try to sign him. Um, mm-hmm. But he, I would imagine he stays for his fourth year. I don't think he would uh, either leave school or I don't think he'd leave school to like sign for his um, his dad dad's club in Cincinnati. Right. And I think Ian was born uh, in the UK, so perhaps he has a passport that we don't know of. And okay. he tries to go that way, but um, you know, there's a. I went DC United doesn't quite have the the, the pool of players that you know the Red Bulls have in, in the B one ranks, but um, you know, those are some names to keep an eye on that are kind of knocking on the door in college, as opposed to you know guys who are on the eighteens that are, I'm not quite as well versed in them right now. That's all I've got for you, Travis. Thanks for coming on the show, why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you online? Sure, yeah. All, all, all my work is on TopProSoccer.com. Uh, Twitter is tw- at, at TopProSoccer, and you can follow me at Travis and Clark if you don't already. And we will have lots of glorious super, super draft coverage. <laughs> Thanks again, Travelist. Travelist? Travis. <laughs> Everyone stick around. We will be right back. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Hey, Ben, you know how you're always going on and on about legal advice on this show? Well, and yeah. Not, and you never, ever use the term correctly? Well, of course not. I try not to use the term correctly. Right. Our new sponsors, the Ehrlich Law Office, they do use the term correctly all the time. In fact, that is what they do. Oh, so if I actually wanted legal advice, I should probably go to them? Yeah, exactly. If you're in Northern Virginia or the District of Columbia, they handle employment issues, general civil litigation, defamation, lots of stuff. Uh, they have you covered. Jason, I'm sorry, they do not have you covered because you are in Maryland where they are not operating just yet. Uh, fine. So Ehrlich Law Office, it's a, it's really good people. Uh, Josh is their, their main proprietor, Josh Ehrlich. Uh, he's a law school friend of mine. His, one of their, their attorneys, Ben, uh, a lot of our listeners know him from games and, and other places. So guys, for a free consultation, go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. The time has come to finish out our Benny Awards. It's the annual awards at blackandredunited.com where we uh, choose different categories or the the, the categories are set and we, we choose nominees and our readers all vote for who they want to have uh, that award in a particular year. The, the final three awards are up this week. The first of them is the fan-favorite award known as the Eski Award after Aleko Eskandarian, who was a big fan favorite, not least of all, for drinking and spitting out Red Bull um, in a wonderful, probably the best goal celebration in team, if not league, history. Uh, this year, the nominees for the SE are Chris Rolfe, Bill Hamid, um, Nick DeLeon, and Fabian Espindola. Jason, who gets your vote this year? Uh, in an effort to avoid redundancy, I'm going to vote for Chris Rolfe. Um, to avoid redundancy? Was, uh, well, yeah, because we've got other awards to give out. Spoilers. Oh, um, okay. And I don't want to vote for the same person all across the board. Um, Rolf really carried the team through a stretch of time where 
pretty much no one else was creating anything. Um, he's a genuinely likable guy on top of that. Um, he tends to score really good goals, um, which is always nice to see. Um, players like that have always, um, they're always going to get a little boost in this sort of thing. The, the guys that score maybe 10 elegant goals instead of 10 trash goals, 10 tra- you know, trash goals are great, but people don't get as excited about them when they think back over the season. Um, so Rolf's general way of playing, I think, uh, a lot of people really like. And, and, you know, he's the man that brought the magic headband to DC, which, uh, for a certain segment of the fan base is the most important thing in this entire category. So definitely Rolf in my, in my opinion. Ben, how about you? Um, I went actually with, uh, Nick DeLeon. I, he's definitely an underappreciated player and Adam is giving me squinty eyes. So I must have stolen his player. Um, but he's, he's an underappreciated player, but he is, he's become the, uh, some of the glue that helps keep the midfield going. Uh, he's got a great passing rate, uh, the best on the team, uh, I believe, or definitely one of the best. Second, second to kitchen. To kitchen, okay. But it's, it's like 82%, which is, uh, pretty good. And he just, I mean, he has a DC United tattoo. I mean, come on. McDaleon is great, and I still love him, even though his game has changed from his rookie season. Yeah, I'm a big Nick DeLeon partisan, but for the purposes of this podcast, I will say that I voted instead for Bill Hamid, just to keep the, the diversity of opinion out there. Bill Hamid bleeds black and red as much as anybody, and for as long as anybody on this team. He stood in the stands with Barra Brava when he was an academy player. He was an academy player, and he he signed a contract when he could have played hardball and tried to get to Europe earlier because he wants to win championships in D.C. He wants to be here, and, and for a player of his caliber, that's a really big deal. Uh, I will say Bill Hamid, even though I also really, really love Nick Dalio. Um The next award is the Popey Award for our Defender of the Year, and Bill Hamid is not on this list. Uh, the nominees are basically anyone who... Well, the five guys who were really uh, most likely to be starters at various points this year, center backs, Bobby Boswell, Steve Birnbaum, and Kofi Opari, as well as fullbacks, Taylor Kemp and Sean Franklin. Um, Jason, who who got your vote this year? Uh, I went with Sean Franklin. Um, I thought the only knock on him was an injury. It wasn't uh, form. He contributes on both sides of the ball. Um, also does not turn the ball over very much for a team that plays long out of the back. That's important. Um, a consistent source of, um, of setting up chances for other people. Um, but also his defending was very strong. Um, Bobby Boswell had some games here and there that weren't very good. Steve Birnbaum played himself onto the bench for a stretch of time. Uh, Kofi Opare didn't necessarily take that chance and, and run with it. Um, and Taylor Kemp, as much as he has improved this year, uh, as a defender is still behind Franklin in terms of his ability to do the defending that comes with the job. So for, for me, this one was, was pretty easy. Franklin was the player I didn't really have any complaints about. So, uh, I went with Sean Franklin. Ben? Yeah, I, I went with Franklin as well. I think he was the most consistent defender on the team. Uh, I thought about voting for Burnbaum because of the way he turned it around at the end of the year and because of his aerial dominance. 
Um, but in the end, I, I went with Franklin. I think it's 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 the it's it's the, it's really the only choice. Like Jason said, everybody else had uh, some issues throughout the season. Yeah, I can see the case for for Burnbaum in particular. Um, given his that DC United is a team that's set up to force crosses from the other team, and his ability to win those crosses is the critical ingredient in making that strategy work defensively. Like you can force the other team to send crosses in, but if you can't win them, then the other team's still going to score goals. And so Burnbaum's ability is a, a really important part of that. He had a couple of games in a row that were not great and got himself sent to the bench. He, he got hurt and then stayed on the bench for a game or two after, uh, after he was fully fit. But I, I could definitely see that vote. Uh, going to Burnbaum. That said, a Kofi Opare is leading the voting right now, and in the fan favorite uh, category in the ESCI award, Chris Rolfe is leading as of this recording. If you want to see that change, in either case, make sure to go to blackandredunited.com and vote, because even though democracy is the worst system of government, except for all the others, it's still what we go with at Black and Red United. So go vote. Uh, the final whoa, 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 award we are... Who, who did you, who oh. did you pick? You just said you could I, see I the case vote. for Burnbaum and that, you, that uh, Apari was leading, but you gave no indication. You gave nothing that we can ridicule or mock you for except you're not voting, which we are now ridiculing and mocking you for. Thanks, Ben. I appreciate that. You're welcome. <laughs> the, es- the Etchy Award is ghost. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I actually did vote. For Burnbaum, I came really close to voting for Franklin, but decided to vote for Burnbaum uh, because I wanted him to to have votes. So it's it's not a protest vote, but it's a vote for I don't know how to categorize it. The Etchy Award, named for Marco Etcheverry, is our MVP award. Goes to the team's most valuable player. The nominees this year are Bill Hamid, Bill Hamid, Bill Hamid, Perry Kitchen, Chris Rolfe, and Davey Arno. Ben, which Bill Hamid are you voting for? I voted for Bill, Bill Hamid number two. Okay, that's a good pick. Jason, which Bill Hamid are you voting for? Uh, I created dummy accounts so I could vote for all of them. <laughs> that's good. I like your style, Jason Anderson. That's good. Unfortunately, you're not allowed to have multiple accounts, so now, now we'll have to ban you from the site. And Who's we? <laughs> <laughs> Because I'm not going to do it. Am I going to ban myself? That's not going to happen. <laughs> well, you can ban the dummy. This is, here's here's the thing. You guys talked about democracy, and I was thinking the whole time about benign dictatorship. Uh, as long as your dictator <laughs> is, is a good dude or lady, then everything is cool. Uh, and you, everything's going to go well. It's just, you know, that person dies, and then things go in the tubes. I opted for Bill Hamid, number one. The alpha Bill Hamid, just because he's the OG Bill Hamid in the original, and that's that's really important to me. Um, that's it for the Benny Awards. Uh, make sure to go to the website and vote and comment on, on the awards for your thoughts uh, to make sure the players you want to win actually actually get recognized. Uh, because internet fan site awards are very important. Without them, what, what good is freedom, really? Our final segment tonight, we will dedicate to, because that's the kind of people we are. 
Uh, our third annual DC United fan MLS hate index ran last week. And this is where we give our readers the chance to rank teams, essentially one through 19, the rest of MLS outside of DC United in the order in which they loathe them. So number one should be no surprise to any DC United fan of any stripe. It is the New York Red Bulls who received more thumbs up for hate than other teams received total votes uh, for hate or not hate. Um, second were the LA Galaxy for the second year in a row. The Philadelphia Union came in at number three. NYCFC, strong showing for their second appearance at number four. And the New England Revolution round out the top five, followed pretty closely by the Seattle Sounders. Ben, does that, that order seem about right to you? Or is there a certain team that wears purple that you would like to see higher than number eight on our ranking? I mean, yes. I think... I've been looking at the list. I don't understand how people hit the crew more than Orlando City. I mean, I guess it's just because they've existed longer. And <laughs> well, I mean, last year the crew were... This year, less so. But last year, they in 2014, they were pretty deplorable. I know, That's, but... Mm-hmm. I have I have a particular disdain for Orlando City that I've, I've been trying to gin up amongst DC United fans, but apparently... Well, they did move up five spots this year true. from number 13 last year. So that's a they, jump. They, it did help that um, they complained endlessly about their opinion, their crazy opinion, I'm going to add, that they deserve to win at RFK and they deserve to win. Well, that's what, pretty much what they said about every single game they played because Adrian Heath is crazy and he says they deserve to win. Um, but that didn't help. Again, in the three games they played against DC, they obviously deserved to win the first game where Hamid stood on his head and then Luis Silva uh, scored in stoppage time with pretty much the only chance United had. But, uh, the game at RFK, DC was the better team, and uh, after the game, Adrian he treated it like they had taken seventy-five shots, and DC had taken none, yeah. um, because he's Adrian Heath, and this is the kind of thing he does. Yeah, and I'll, I'll, I'll assume that all of that like non-hatred for Orlando City is all just residual love for Lewis Neal. <laughs> I mean, that probably has something to do with it. I mean, Orlando City still is in the top half of the league, and they're ahead of other Eastern Conference teams, uh, including Toronto FC and... How can you win in Chicago? This is the part... Yeah, that's the one that shocks me, yeah. is the Chicago Fire are and, down at number 11. They are outside I, I, of the top 10, despite being it's been, an old, old, hated rival. Yeah, but yeah. It's, it's been so long since they've been good at anything. That I and it's also been so long since we... We're still playing them in the U.S. Open Cup semifinal. Yeah. That game is still <laughs> going on, by the way. That's still true. an extra time. Deservedly, because, you know, that's not <laughs> time. Especially the stuff that happened in the first half. Yes, that should be added to the second half. <laughs> um, the Montreal Impact, I mean, down at number 13, actually- they're the lowest in conference team. Go ahead, Ben. I was just gonna say I'm I'm surprised that Toronto FC is in the top half. Like, how can you hate Toronto FC? You just hate how much money they have. That's probably it. You hate how much money. Yeah, they I have. think it's it's the the money and and uh, there's a certain there are a few players on that team that like to throw some elbows or complain unjustly. Um, so um, and some people do do I'm trying to dislike. Michael I mean, Bradley. for case. 
Damian Perkis uh, kicked Fabian Espindola away rather than try to defend him. He just kicked him for 90 minutes, so that's not cool. Um, yeah, I think our love for the Vocal Minority podcast, who right. is another MLS podcast, that should not cloud our judgment in our view of Toronto FC, uh, who, who the, like the, to collect fr- American soccer talent and then, you know, play them out of position. Right, but they're supposedly more hated than sporting Kansas City, the fighting Vermeeses. I think that's a function that's- of, of the Sporks moving to the Western Conference, because the Houston Dynamo dropped from a top five team last year down to number nine this year. And I think it also helped last year. They, they were competing for a top three spot. We played Kansas city in like mid April, I think, or, or early in the season. Um, it was a long time ago. There were a lot of games between then. So, um, that certainly contributes with certain teams that it's just such a distant memory. Um, I guess the ones I would dispute, um, I've never seen the issue with the union. Um, their their fans are, are generally easy to get along with. Um, they're never very good, so you don't have to worry about them as competition for anything. Um, they're a um, a person you go to trade with when you want to win a trade. Um, so on a lot of fronts, there's nothing dangerous or worrisome about the union. It's um, almost like punching down having them in our top three. Yeah, um, and I understand in the past that that there was the annual Open Cup brawl with DC United and the Union, but that was never... It, I was at those games, and what would happen is the the Union players and United players would hate each other, but the people in the stands, the fans would be one section from each other, and like everyone would be having a grand, grand old time laughing and, and making fun, but not in an angry way. Yeah, I think um, this is one of those rivalries that really does... We don't like the Union on the field. Their fans yeah. off the field, we have a really good relationship. Probably... Better than any other team in MLS. Yeah. We have a good and, relationship and with them as supporters, but that doesn't mean we want to see them have any success. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and if they started being good, that's what it comes down to. Well, yeah. and also it may be that we're getting prepared because since the Red Bulls have another team in their city to focus on, we might need to get prepared to move some of our hatred to or add some additional hatred to Philadelphia. There's plenty of other teams to hate before that, though. Especially as long as the Union continue being bad. Like, Sporting sporting Kansas City, I don't know how they end up in the bottom ten, because, I mean, most of their team is uh, guys who throw elbows and guys who complain about being penalized for throwing elbows. Um, I mean, even their good players are kind of jerks. Um, Looking at... Tom Dwyer and, and Benny Philhaber. Just, um, just look at what's on Benny Philhaber's face at any given moment. Actually, that's probably some of the, the best thing he's some of the best he can bring to the table is is when he shows up with a weird mustache. Um, I guess at the other end of this, um, I see Vancouver is rated last as of right now, and I completely agree with that. I feel Which like they have the, been basically all three years. Yeah, they're the the least hateable team, and also we play them once a year, and for some re- weird reason, um, I know there was a stretch of time where we played the, the Vancouver Whitecaps once in like 26 months on the calendar um, because of the scheduling and where they had been over from season to season. Um, it seems like we always play them in Vancouver, too. <laughs> it seems that way. Yeah. So that, the, the that, bottom... You can't be in person to, to get angry at them. Yeah, the bottom six teams have been in the bottom seven all three years. The only right. um, 
princes, there's no longer a Shivas USA to to keep them unified. Uh, the bottom three have always been, in our hate index, the bottom three have always been Vancouver, Colorado, and the MLS Cup champion, Portland Timbers, uh, who I thought might move up because they won the Cup this year, but they have stayed exactly the same. Uh, I think in year one, we did this. A bunch of Seattle fans came over and <laughs> voted them further up the rankings than yeah, they, they might have I mean, otherwise been. When they jumped into the league, they were one of the few teams that uh, the Timbers Army had a banner about keeping D.C. in D.C. Um, and before they came into MLS, there was a banner at RFK yep. talking about how the Timbers should be added to MLS. So Yeah, and the Timbers uh, had an R.I.P. Chico banner in, yeah. in, their, in their section as well. There's always been a really good relationship also between D.C. supporters, in particular the Barra Brava, and, and the Timbers Army. So that that is not at all surprising. One more I'd throw out as kind of a surprise is Dominic Kinnear and the San Jose Earthquakes. I just figured that they would be higher because no one likes the Earthquakes or their fans or really Dominic Kinnear. Um, so I figured they would just be slightly further up just on the general, um, you know, their soccer's unesthetic, they're overly physical, they're their fans negative. are insane. Their fans try and get into a brawl with anyone they come across in, in I assume in their everyday lives as well. Um, so yeah, I would, I would say that's kind of a surprise, but I, I guess because we're on the other side of the country, we just don't have to deal with it very much. So they're sort of a forgotten team. Uh, certainly they were bad and forgettable this year. That might have helped the, you know, the earthquakes. No one thinks about them at all, really. Yeah. The only Western conference teams that are above any Eastern conference teams are the LA Galaxy at number two. Um, which is fair. Yeah. Which is absolutely (laughs) fair. The Seattle Sounders, the Seattle Sounders at number six, who mm. invented yeah, hate. Also, also fair, yeah, invented being hated. In fact, for for a lot of DC fans, that was where they came in at was right when the hatred that between them up, yeah. was honest. Yeah, first season, impressions, first impressions are yeah. hard to break, and they did that. They they managed to crush that first impression and and make us really <laughs> hate them. Um, Josh Wicks certainly helped with the hate, but. That's another story. Uh, Houston Dynamo at number nine, who were an Eastern Conference team until last year, and Sporting Kansas City at number 12, who also were an Eastern Conference team. All the rest of the West is clustered in spots 14 through 19. So it, it's not that surprising. I mean, uh, familiarity breeds contempt and other cliches. So it makes sense that the Western Conference is all down at the bottom. Uh, ben, my question for you, would you have any Eastern Conference teams rated lower on the hate index than Montreal? Because right now they're at number 13. They are the least hated Eastern Conference team. Are there any that you would replace that spot with? Probably. I have a strange affection for Toronto and our friends that podcast about Toronto. And come on, Montreal uh, did employ Felipe at one point. Yeah, I think when they had Felipe, they were much more hateable. Then yeah. when they got rid of him. They also made that CCL run that everyone loved. And so I think that's part of why they're where they are. I guess. But, but I, I can see, I can see them being the lowest. How are the Chicago Fire the second least hated Eastern Conference team? I don't understand that. Because it's been almost 10 years since we've had to play a really meaningful game against them besides the Open Cup game that still is going on. Luis Silva just scored again in that game, by the way. That's, that's, uh, 
I mean, that's true, but for, for the, the group of fans that were around for those first 10 years, uh, the Fire, I mean, I would put them ahead of every single team in the East that isn't the Red Bulls, still. Even even after they were horrible this year, I kind of want them to be just as horrible in a new way this, this coming year um, because of how they were in the previous decade. Um, they were they were jerks. They were they were. I mean, this is a team that brought uh, kicking Jaime Moreno into uh, MLS's consciousness as a way to deal with him via Jim Curtin and C.J. Brown, who are both coaching teams and or well, Brown's an assistant, but um. Yeah, the the fire. Uh, I don't. I mean, I feel bad for some of their fans that that we get along with, but um, but they also for the rest des- of those guys. Yeah, and they also deserve it for hiring Frank Yellow <laughs> after having Frank Klopas Spe- for so long. Right. Um, speaking of the earthquakes and why you should dislike them, uh, Frank Yellow. We could do this all night. We really could. But We're full of hate. We we really really are. <laughs> it's probably not healthy, much like the rest of this podcast, which is why we're going to end it now and come back next week, assuming we haven't all died. Uh, so thank you all for listening. Find us at blackandredunited.com. Uh, we're on Twitter at blackandredu for the website at filibusterdcu for the podcast. Uh, send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail dot com. As always. We accept love letters. We love love letters. We accept hate mail. We kind of like hate mail even more. And we accept advertising inquiries, which are our favorites of the bunch. Find us on iTunes. Find us on Stitcher. We're also on SoundCloud. Mostly, though, when you find yourself talking about DC United, tell a friend about the podcast. That's really the best way to spread the word. For Jason and Ben, we will talk to you real soon. Until then, I'm Adam. Say goodbye, Jason. Hey, hey, hey.